Welcome back, Warriors. Tansei Sego Anibuju. Kuei Ninda Luizi Pam Palmeter, and I am the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, languages, laws, governing systems, and practices. It's also about living, asserting, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. Today's podcast is the first for 2020. And while I usually put my podcasts out on Friday morning, this one's a day late because I wanted to wait until I could speak to Molly Wickham again. As some of you know, we had Molly on our Warrior Life podcast a couple of months ago, where she gave us a detailed history of what's been happening in Wet'suwet'en territory in BC. She's the spokesperson for the Gidimden, one of the clans of the Wet'suwet'en nation. They created a camp that's called the Gidimden Yinta Access. This was set up under the traditional laws and governing processes to control access to the territory and protect their lands. On the Gidimden Yinta Access website, it says that they set up their camp for another reason, and that's to show that the hereditary chiefs stand behind the Unistaten clan, another clan of the Wet'suwet'en nation. And this was to counter claims by the Coastal Link Gasline Pipeline lawyers that the Unistaten were just some rogue group with no claims to Aboriginal title. And this couldn't be further from the truth, legally, politically, socially, or culturally. They are not alone. Their hereditary chiefs stand by their clans and defend the title to their lands. In our last podcast with Molly, she told us about the Wet'suwet'en Nation's efforts to keep the extractive industry out of their territories and how the RCMP have reacted by setting up in their territory to surveil, harass, and arrest them. She also talked to us about why it is so important to defend their native sovereignty, their laws, and their traditional governing systems, which includes their hereditary chiefs. Since we last spoke and had Molly on this podcast, the RCMP and Coastal GasLink Pipeline have ramped up pressure on the Wet'suwet'en peoples. They believe that another violent RCMP invasion of their camps is imminent. We have seen the misinformation campaign in the media, lies being told by the RCMP, and lots of uninformed commentary by people who don't know either Wet'suwet'en or Canadian law. But instead of turning the public against the Wet'suwet'en nation, it has had the opposite effect. First Nations all across Turtle Island have declared public support for the Wet'suwet'en and have also called on the RCMP to stand down and leave that territory. There have been numerous marches, rallies, and protests nationwide, and we plan to continue these and other actions to show Canada we haven't forgotten what they did to the Unistaten when they invaded the last time. There were marches in Ottawa, Victoria, Montreal, and last week my son Mitchell joined other First Nations in Fredericton, New Brunswick to call on the RCMP to leave Wet'suwet'en territory. The RCMP have been ramping up their actions, and despite their many public denials, those on the inside of the territory have been posting numerous pictures and videos to keep us well informed. Although the media has reported a seven-day stand-down by the RCMP, while government and hereditary chiefs meet, we can see that the RCMP are being more aggressive with those at the camps. That's why they feel that another RCMP invasion is imminent. 
So I reached out to Molly to see if she could come back on the Warrior Life podcast and give us an update about what is happening so that we have the facts straight from her and no interpretations, no political commentary, and no bias. Here's the interview that we had earlier today. Welcome back, Molly. Thank you so much for coming back to the Warrior Life podcast. So many of the listeners have been asking for updates on what's happening in your territory, because as you know, the media is not always very reliable and they don't always have all the facts. So um, you're the, you know, best, it's best to get it straight from your mouth. So thank you. I really appreciate you taking time to come back. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm wondering, for, so for anyone who didn't hear our previous podcast, could you just give like a uh, like a really brief history about what is the situation in Wet'suwet'en Territory? Yeah, the situation in Wet'suwet'en Territory is that we have uh, a, the courts granted a permanent injunction for Coastal Gas Link, which is a fracked gas pipeline wanting to run from eastern uh, so-called British Columbia to the coast to Kitimat and export LNG. Um, since that time, the hereditary chiefs have an eviction, have evicted the company and have uh, blocked off access to the territory at Gitemden Checkpoint and Unistoten Healing Center. Okay, now the last time we spoke, it was a couple of months ago, and you had given us like a really detailed history about how how much work you've done as a nation to try to keep all of the pipelines and those kinds of things out of your territory, and that this isn't about a protest. You had said that this is about living on your territory as you've done and following the laws of your nation. And <clears throat> towards the end of our podcast, you were talking about the RCMP and how they were starting to dig into your, to your territory and harassing people. And a lot's happened in the last couple of months. I wonder if you can let our listeners know, like, what's happening right now? Right now, the RCMP have set up an exclusion zone on our territory. They did the exact same thing last year when they raided Gitemden Checkpoint. Um, they set up at 27 kilometer uh an exclusion zone where they're keeping people from accessing the territory. And so that was set up um, shortly after the eviction. So probably about four days, four days after the eviction, four or five days. And so we haven't been able to freely access the territories since that time. They've blocked in one of the supporting camps. There was another camp set up at 39 kilometer um, just to support and bring supplies in and to witness any RCMP activity on the ground because we're so remote. And the RCMP have criminalized that camp even though they're not, um, you know, they're not violating any of the injunction. Nobody's uh, doing anything there but supplying food and supplies to the other two camps. So they've effectively created an exclusion zone so that we can we are blocked off from um, specific media or supplies. And it, they're arbitrarily just letting people through one day and not letting people through the next day and um, making up rules as they go along. They've barred out... Uh, Legal observers, they're not allowing legal observers in. In fact, they've threatened arrest of several of the legal observers. They've not let in uh, 
lawyers, they, they yesterday or the other day, I think they blocked out APTN. So certain media they're letting in, they let in uh, other uh, white supremacist media outlets. <laughs> so it's quite, uh, they're increasing every day, they're increasing their harassment and intimidation and controlling access to us on our territory. Which seems absolutely unbelievable because no one in your nation has broken any of your own Wet'suwet'en laws or Canadian laws. You haven't, you know, stockpiled with weapons. You haven't, you know, attacked or assaulted RCMP officers. There's literally no danger posed to anyone in society. I mean, you're literally in the middle of the woods. You're not hurting anyone. It's, it seems like a movie or something that is just completely unbelievable that the RCMP would act in such a lawless manner when I guarantee you the reverse isn't true. They wouldn't actually uphold your own rights as against any other company or government or or Canadian citizen. And um, one of the things that is really disturbing to me because I'm trying to follow your situation very carefully is the misinformation in the media, but also the lies that are being told by the RCMP. So from the people that are there, we've seen video recordings and pictures of RCMP helicopters overhead. Yet on social media and the mainstream media, the RCMP are like, no, there's no helicopters flying over. But I, I mean, this, this must frustrate you, this kind of misinformation campaign to the general public. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's nothing new. We're quite used to it, but it, it doesn't get any less frustrating the more you're lied to, <laughs> especially when they're lying to your hereditary chiefs, like the people that are the most respected mm -hmm. and um, in our communities, in our governance, and they're, you know, outright sitting across a table from them and lying straight to their faces about, you know, that same day, that same day that they put out a, a, a press statement saying that actually admitting after the, our videos came out, admitting that they did have air support, mm -hmm. they were still sitting in the meeting lying to the hereditary chief saying that no, they have no knowledge of any air support happening. They have no knowledge of any drones. Um, and yet we have, you know, evidence and proof and experience of that every single day. And that's just been increasing. So now we have usually about two to three helicopters fly by each of the camps every day. And then a number of drones um, doing surveillance on the camps as well. Which is, which is incredible, surveilling you living out on your territory. Like, it's, I don't know what they could possibly be surveilling, except that it, it seems like the last time where they have every intention to move in and arrest and remove people. Oh, absolutely. They do, and that's why they're ramping up the, um, they're ramping up the harassment. Actually, just over the last few days, since they put out, uh, they put out a, a statement saying that they're, um, you know, that the RCMP are going to stand down for seven days while discussions happen between the hereditary chiefs and the and the province, and they've done the exact opposite of that. In fact, they've uh, they arrested uh, Gidimden Elder last night. Um, in the evening and the supporter um, who are trying to get through their exclusion zone 
to go and bring supplies <coughs> up to the camp. Um, they've threatened yesterday. They were in the RCMP came to camp 39, uh, twice and threatened people with arrest and threatened to come into the camp. Um, they were told they're trespassing. They don't have authorization to be there. And so they threatened everybody there with arrest on two occasions in the same day. So they're definitely ramping up their harassment and ramping up their um, surveillance. They want to know exactly how many people are at each camp and what they're willing to do. Um, like if they're willing to um, interfere with the RCMP and they're claiming that they're enforcing the injunction, they're there to force the injunction, and that anybody that interferes with them enforcing the injunction um, will be arrested. And there's you know, they're supposed to be standing down for seven days while there's this dialogue happening with the with the hereditary chiefs. And how do you have any sort of dialogue that's not under duress when you literally are at, you know, under threat of violence from them? Well, and, and that's that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, because people were celebrating this purported seven-day stand-down and, oh, this is exactly how the RCMP should be acting and this is so wonderful. And I was telling people, look, I'm not out there, but I think it's a little premature to be celebrating because we don't know, in fact, what the RCMP are going to do. Maybe they're going to use this to harass people and it, and it seems that's exactly what they've done. And, uh, you know, even some of the Native media, I find, have not put a a fact-based or full picture about everything that's happening, especially when it comes to, you know, this purported division. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is one of the things I heard in one of the native media outlets was that all everyone had, you know, had a chance to vote for this pipeline and they were all in favor. But the last time I talked to you and, and others involved in this, they said that, all of the communities did not vote on this pipeline. No, absolutely not. And that's one of the things that I feel like has been a major flaw in mainstream media is that uh, so many media outlets are focusing on this division within the community as if somehow, even if all of the bands and all of the communities agreed, they're not the inherent uh leaders and governance structures of our nation even if they all did and they did not like a lot of the companies a lot of the companies paid for the band council the band elected chief and council um, to go to vancouver and go to hockey games and gave them all of these incentives and money to um, sign off on these deals and the impact benefit agreements on behalf of their community who weren't consulted. And in the case where they were consulted, it was the exact opposite. We had two community votes in Witset, and both of the votes um, voted it down. And so that's why they had to go into a private, um, a private vote a secret ballot where it was only the chief elected chief and council who voted um, for the project and they and they won that vote by <clears> one <throat> vote and so they went ahead and did it against the fact that the community 80 percent of the community voted it down twice so, and see that's really important on a whole lot of reasons one that the community had no say um and and the ones that did said no 
And then to take a step up, but, and then the, your other really important point about, you know, bands and hereditary chiefs, which it, it, yours isn't the only situation. There's lots of traditional governments operating and who have continued to operate, you know, despite, um, first nations chief and council systems that have been imposed on people. And I, I think the important point I've been trying to make to people and students in my classes is that this isn't new. It's not like in reaction to the pipeline, some people decided to be hereditary chiefs and are opposing it, that your hereditary chiefs have been continuing since time immemorial and everybody, like all the nations, all the the bands in that nation are are well aware of that. It didn't just come about because of pipelines. Exactly. And I think that speaks to the larger issue here. Like this isn't just an issue about pipelines for us. This Mm -hmm. is an issue about our inherent sovereignty over our territories and over our people and our governance system that, you know, we're asserting that and we've been implementing it. And it's not something new. It's something that we do every day. And, you know, a lot of the people that are in the band council positions, they're a part of that system. They participate in our in our bahlats, in our feast hall. Um, they belong to a clan. They have responsibilities to the clans. And so, you know, it's the government who imposed this system and who's continually fracturing our communities purposely in order to get deals signed and in order to get access to the land and it's very purposeful so it's very frustrating when media focuses on this division as if um, well we can't decide ourselves so why should anybody you know take a side if we can't even be united on our decision when it's actually the government that's purposefully doing this to our people just to get access to our lands Exactly. And and what really frustrates me is that there are so many people that work in the media and lawyer commentators and others who actually know the difference. They know the law that it's only what's in law that applies in your territory. And the decision has already been made according to what's in law. There's no division there. The, the only problem is this manufactured division when the government comes in and tries to get bank councils to make different decisions and put different pressures on them but even in law so let's just only look at canadian law for a minute not even wet'suwet'en law in order to prove you have aboriginal title or keep it you have to prove that it's your territory that you've defended it to the exclusion of others and so You have no choice, even under Canadian law, but to live a certain defend your sovereignty in order to maintain that Aboriginal title. And of course, I'm sure under Wet'suwet'en law, living in your territory and and protecting your um, all the plants and animals and waters and people in that territory is a part of maintaining your territory. So you don't have any other choice under any legal system but to do what you're doing. Exactly. And this is, you know, one thing that's really important to highlight is that this decision and I mean, not only our systems, thousands and thousands of years old, obviously, like the names of the hereditary chiefs that we're talking about here have been around, um, you know, for thousands of years. Um, But in addition to that, this isn't just about coastal gasoline pipeline, like this decision to protect our territories um, has come into our feast hall before the coastal gasoline pipeline was even approved or 
ever even, you know, the thought of it even existed. So, you know, we've, as our own governance system, have made this decision um, a long time ago to protect our territories because, as you said, that's our law. You know, we have five clans of the Wet'suwet'en Nation and each clan is responsible for protecting their boundaries, even from other clans. You know, even even within our own nation, another clan can't come in and trespass on our territories and take things from our territories or destroy our territories. It's that strict. And so, yes, you know, and Justice Church, when she made her decision, she said, oh, well, people might actually believe that they have, you know, that they have a responsibility to uh, protect their, you know, their land. But that's irrelevant, you know. Yep. And it's and it's absolutely absurd and and just outright racist that they would talk, you know, that she would make that kind of reference to um, a system that is far more mature and far more effective at managing lands and resources than any Western system. Well, exactly. It's. It- it's wrongly decided with all due respect, uh, according to Wet'suwet'en law, which has never been extinguished or displaced. And it's also wrongly decided when you look at the fact that you're talking about at the very minimum, a section 35 Aboriginal title right versus coastal link gas pipeline who has no constitutional right. So when you're, when those two things are competing a right versus no right there in law should be no competition. Yeah. So I guess I, I'm, you know, I wanted to also before I, you know, I know you have to go do a million things is also focus on some of um, the movement here, because what you're doing in your territory is is critically important to your nation. And and we stand in solidarity with you. And I've noticed that the more the RCMP lie, the more that the RCMP um, harass, the more misinformation, the more negative commentary has had the opposite effect. It's actually garnered more and more and more support for you and the Wet'suwet'en Nation, because I noticed um, the Gitsan made comments. We, You have some municipalities in BC saying they offer support. First Nations across the country are issuing declarations of support. And then you even had the United Nations Committee for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination say, hey, nothing should be happening without free prior informed consent. And they issued huge concerns about the RCMP going in and hurting people. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah and I, I, you know, and it and it goes on. I mean, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. There's like lawyer, native lawyers all over the country. There's been First Nation grassroots movements and rallies and marches and and protests and lots of Canadian allies like Amnesty International, BC Human Rights. I mean, I think it's important for people to really take stock of, like, everyone is behind you. The only people that don't seem to be behind you is the extractive industry and government. And that really shouldn't be much of a shock. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there, you know, this, you know, we talk about what we're doing and our responsibilities and we realize that and take them very seriously. And at the same time, we realize that this is a much bigger issue and a much bigger picture than just the Wet'suwet'en and our you know, self-governance and our rights and responsibilities to protect the land. This is about 
uh, colonization and the oppression of indigenous people and governance structures on a broader global level. And that's why we're seeing such, you know, such support around the globe is because, you know, people recognize that this, we cannot keep living in this way in this world. And more and more people see quite clearly and can see through the RCMP lies and the government's lies. Um, and understand that something has to be done and that they're using us as an example. They want to show the province and the RCMP and this in and this company and private industry want to show the world that, you know, indigenous people have no rights and authorities and that they can continue on with business as usual, except for their, you know, they're basically essentially privatizing colonization. You know, they're moving into that era and we have to put a stop to it. And whatever happens with us is going to set a precedent. And they know that. And so that's why they're fighting so hard to oppress us. Um, and that's why we're fighting so hard to ensure that um, the future is going to change for, you know, for all Indigenous people and and make a change in the world for, you know, how we're seen and how we are um, affected by industry and government and and you know what you're doing is is so important and i know it's an it's an unfair burden on you because when when government and industry put their resources together and focus all of their pressure that's that's got to be an incredible burden we know first nations across the country have faced this you know, we hear reports about the RCMP authorizing le lethal overwatch. I mean, those kinds of indications that they would put, you know, property and industry over the lives of Indigenous people worry us all. And it must, of course, worry your elders and hereditary chiefs. And I, I know there's no words that I could say to convey, you know, how thankful and grateful and how much we look up to you because every day that you stand in defense of your lands in the way that you do it according to your laws and with your hereditary chiefs is is not only an inspiration to the rest of us, but it's motivation to do the same thing. It's also hope um, because the government does everything they can to kind of quash hope. You know, we see chiefs selling agreements or we see national organizations selling out. And, you know, it's it would be very easy for our youth to to have feelings of hopelessness. But you and and your nation and everybody involved have really lifted everybody back up again. And and there's no price you can put on that. That's that's hope that's we're still here we're we're resilient we're warriors we're protecting the land and we have no choice but to do it and so i really i really appreciate everything that you're doing and the time that you take to help spread the information because i think for us you know social media if you can ignore all the the negative stuff on social media and focus only on the information sharing that's a real empowerment communication system for us so that we can help coordinate and support one another and and really generate support for you all yeah we really appreciate everybody's support and the you know how many people are standing behind us and it's just overwhelming all the every day you know more and more 
um, letters come in and letters of support and, uh, you know, private messages about, you know, people that are with us and that are watching and, and it is important. And we recognize that, that this is a time when, uh, it's a very important time that is mm -hmm. going to, that's been going on for several years and it's probably going to go on for, you know, a, a long time, you know, this particular fight, I don't think is going to be done uh, anytime soon. So even though the RCMP are currently uh, occupying our community halls and have their, all their trailers and the community halls are fenced off and all the RCMP are, are coming in and um, taking over our communities to invade our territory, um, you know, this is just one piece of it. And when this is over, uh, it's still going to continue. And so we appreciate everybody's support and just hope that, you know, we can keep the pressure on and keep people's attention to this mm -hmm. issue because it's, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, and we, we will need people's continued support after the fact, after, you know, they invade us again, because we know mm -hmm. that that's imminent. We know that that's going to happen. We don't trust that they are standing down. <laughs> no, well, they're not. They're not standing down according to the, you know, the pictures that we see in the videos online. Yeah, they're absolutely not. And uh, we know what's coming. Uh, we don't know what it'll look like, but I, by the amount of RCMP in the area and the amount of equipment that they have and the numbers that they have, um, it's going to be, it's going to be bigger than last year. So they're talking about um, de-escalating and putting all this, you know, these lies out in the media about how they want to de-escalate the situation and they, they care about people's lives and about people's safety and they're just here for public safety. And yet you look at all of their um, supplies and equipment and the people that they're moving into our community right now, mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, it's double or triple what happened last year. Definitely, um, definitely not a good sign and definitely a good reason for us to stay supportive. I know the last time you were here, um, you referred us to the Unistoten website and the Yinta Access website. You have supporter toolkits um, because the number one question is, what can we do to support you? And, you know, if you have anything that you want to highlight right now, you know, let us know. Otherwise, I'll refer to people to your website to find out ways to support you. But I'm assuming you probably need um, money for legal fees. You probably need supplies. You probably need, you know, public statements, that kind of thing. Yeah, all of those things are really useful. We now have, Get em Den has three camps. So oh. since since the injunction, um, our... our um, community at 44 kilometer um, since the eviction we've erected two more camps one at 27 kilometer before the RCMP exclusion zone and then one at 39 kilometer which is now in behind the RCMP exclusion zone and so we're really uh, trying to keep all of those camps and spaces open for people to come support and for people to come and witness and be on the ground. Um, but anybody that's coming really needs to uh, hurry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come yeah. Come for sure. 
and to just be ready that, uh, you know, people have done amazing things last year with all of the rallies and all of the actions. And um, we really need to see that in a coordinated way um, mm-hmm. when the time comes. Yeah, definitely for sure. And we're going to do everything we can on our part to keep the word out, to keep the pressure on, to push back on the misinformation, to rally the troops. I mean, it continues, the rallies all across the country. I mean, my son was marching just last week in New Brunswick because we know what it's like as Mi'kmaq people to be invaded by RCMP and snipers and paramilitary and you know, all of it that goes with it. So we wish you strength and success and safety and, and you know, that the ancestors are walking with us and that they will protect you no matter what the RCMP decide to do moving forward. And um, you always have my support and that of many others. Just please reach out with things that you need and we'll continue to support you. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for coming back and and please be safe. Thanks. We are so lucky to have had this opportunity to hear from Molly. She has been so busy doing everything she's doing and taking time to talk to media and other people to help keep us all informed so that we know the truth of the situation. I also think it's important before we end this podcast to highlight six legal points about this situation that's otherwise being confused in the media. The first one is Wet'suwet'en laws have never been extinguished, not by provincial laws, not by federal laws, not by anybody. They are still a sovereign nation with their traditional forms of government still intact. Number two, it is the Wet'suwet'en nation that has first title to all of their traditional lands, not the province of British Columbia or the government of Canada, and certainly not any corporations in the extractive industry. Number three, the hereditary system of governance in the Wet'suwet'en nation has been in place since time immemorial and is well known to all of the people that are involved in this, both the provincial and federal government, the courts, the RCMP, and industry. This system didn't just come about as an anti-pipeline protest. This system has been in place for hundreds and thousands of years. Number four, when the Gitsen and Wet'suwet'en nations went to court to argue their land title claims, it was not Indian Act chiefs and councils that were represented. It was the hereditary leaders. The Delgamuk case went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada with the hereditary leaders as the claimants of title. It didn't appear to be an issue that hereditary leaders were the ones claiming Aboriginal title over traditional territory until all of a sudden Coastal GasLink Pipeline wants to force their pipeline through Wet'suwet'en territory. Then they look for any out they can find. Number five. Indian Act chiefs and councils signing impact benefit agreements does not change the fact that under Wet'suwet'en law and Canadian law, no Wet'suwet'en nation consent has been given for the pipeline. Even the United Nations has called on Canada to stand down unless and until they get free prior informed consent from the nation, the Wet'suwet'en nation. And number six, Whether it is Wet'suwet'en law or Canadian law, the Wet'suwet'en nation have no choice really but to live, assert, and defend their sovereignty 
assert and defend their laws and protect their lands if they want to keep it. That's actually how it works in the law. Read any Supreme Court of Canada Aboriginal title case. How do they identify to see if they're Aboriginal title lands? One of the core questions is if the group used those lands to the exclusion of other people. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. They're setting up checkpoints. They're setting up access points according to their own laws on their own lands, saying who can come in their territory and when. And they have said no to the RCMP and they have said no to the pipeline. So this is incumbent on the RCMP to respect the rule of law in this territory, both Wet'suwet'en rule of law and Canadian rule of law and stand down. And while they're at it, they can take the pipeline with them. Thanks to all of you for tuning into my show. I'll post a link to the Unistaten and Yinta Access websites in my description box so you can share them and find ways that you can support them. They really need our support right now. If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode, especially with other social justice activists. We need everyone's help to keep this issue in the media and continue to put pressure on BC, the federal government, the RCMP, and the pipeline to stand down and stop terrorizing the Wet'suwet'en Nation. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, but my podcast is also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also follow me on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter or to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing Indigenous peoples. Many times I also post these podcasts as blogs on my blog Indigenous Nationhood, so make sure you check them out there. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliog.